Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. you guys welcome to this week's episode of the temple of food podcast as always i'm your co-host uh coach maples aka jay mapes here as always with kings uh this week we have a very special guest friend of the pod uh laker writer basketball savant vinay kilowala what's going on my guy what's up fellas i'm I'm glad and honored to be part of the best nba (laughs) hoops podcast on any platform anywhere apple spotify wherever you listen the very best one uh we did not pay him for that i just want to put that out there <laughs> that was uh from the hip kings what's going on shoot you know just enjoying you know the hoops some crazy numbers is coming is, is on right now <laughs> i just want to say honest hoops is back right Right. Thanks, Commissioner, for the new rules, man. <laughs> we go go right into that. But yeah, man, I uh, appreciate you uh, for delaying and recording for me between uh, Halloween with my little one and uh, my Cooper Rush high from uh, leading the Cowboys to victory. Uh, I had to, you know, take one 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 day one day extension. So appreciate you, brother. Kings just alluded to it. Let's go right to these rule changes, man. It is crazy. I got some numbers I want to throw out at you guys before we get going. Um, maybe a plethora of things, but I want to get you guys' takes on it. Uh, Kings, one of Kings' agendas uh, of many is the <laughs> is honest hoop, and I think he's <laughs> I think he's getting getting his his fair share this year. Um, so the NBA, just real quick, just for for those who may or may not pay attention, the NBA um, eased the foul rules a lot. As far as um, I like a little more physicality with guys going to the basket and guarding in space, um, and not being so ticky tack with the shooting fouls, with guys pretty much doing you know performance art or interpretive dance after they shoot to get foul calls, as I like to say. And there may be some other factors to play. Uh, Vinay raised something very well. He's going to talk about another issue that may be in play for him, but. These are, you know, all NBA all-star caliber players. I want you guys to just take a listen at their numbers. Uh, Lillard, 18.6 points per game on 34.9% shooting. Tatum, 26 points per game on 39.5% shooting. Harden, 18.6 points per game on 39.8% shooting. De'Aaron Fox, 18.5 points on 37% shooting. And Michael Porter Jr., 11 points per game on 33% shooting. Um, th- that is wild to me to, to, to see the flip. Obviously, people have different um, different reasoning for why this is happening. Um, in Lillard, in Tatum's case, possibly, you know, new coaching staffs, right? New systems they're trying to learn. Um, 
I, I think it's the rules based on what I'm watching, just starting with uh, you, uh, Vinay. Uh, what do you think is a factor in going into that? Then we'll take it to Kings. Yeah, I, I think this season for sure, at, le- at least through like the six, seven games that we've watched, is has to be one of the most bizarre kind of scoring seasons that I've seen from from guys that are like, you know, the real hoopers or the hoopers, whatever whatever term people want to use nowadays. Um, I think even even all the guys that you mentioned, like to see them shoot so poorly, and it's not like they're just. Uh, like I've caught a few, like I watched a Portland game because right. uh, I bought league pass. So I was just watching random games. I haven't really watched Boston, but like I, I watched like two Nets games and I'm watching Harden. And some of these guys, like I'm, I'm, I'm almost amazed that they're shooting so badly because they're missing open shots and they're missing like stuff that you would expect them to normally make. So like, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is, um, but like just being thinking about it from like a basketball perspective, like I think Mabel's, you mentioned it just a second ago. If the the rules that were originally introduced were supposed to be to to stop guys from doing extra stuff to basically trick trick refs into to calling fouls, and like I haven't seen, I mean, like Harden's done it a little bit, like the first <laughs> yeah. like five six games. Yeah, those highlights. Yeah. Highlight, yeah. yeah, and I mean, t- to be fair, like he is getting fouled on some plays, and then he's trying to do some of that extra stuff, right, 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 and he's not getting those calls. But like like Dame not shooting well, like that's a surprise to me because you would think Portland's got all these guys like Anthony Simon's been playing really well. The guy that you and I have talked about, Nasir Little, like he looks like he's a player now in the league and stuff like that. They're getting contributions, but he's looking terrible. CJ's looking great, like in his in-between game and stuff like that. Um, so one of the observations I did have is I, I couldn't remember which broadcast I was listening to. I think it may have been the Pelicans the Pelicans Minnesota game, the second one that I watched, because I know they had a back to back. And I think it was a, I think it was a Pelicans broadcaster that mentioned, he's like, he's like, it seems as though um, the refs are calling the games the way the playoffs go and not the way the regular season has gone. Was that Antonio Daniels or what? Yeah. It may may have been Antonio Daniels. Yeah. yeah. And cause I know it was was somebody smart. And I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't even think of that. Like that's how they're calling these games now. And when I sat back and I kind of thought about it a little bit more, I was just like, oh, you know what? That could be it. Maybe they're allowing a little bit more defensive physicality. They don't get those off-ball kind of grabs and calls. And maybe it's messing with people's rhythms. And, and maybe that's what it is. But it, it's bizarre, like, to see these guys play so poorly. And they don't look like they're out of shape, uh, maybe outside of Harden. But, like, they don't look like they're out of shape. So I don't know what it is. Yeah, a lot of those guys who played in the Olympics, I don't think it's them being out of shape. Uh, I think also, you know, the fans is back. I, yeah. I, it's been a while since they played games with the fans being back. Uh, but even then, you know, I, I, again, I want to say the rules are having a huge impact. Uh, and I want to say this because, uh, as we all know, when the game, when you have, where you're not able to uh, get, up, get up shots and get to the line for easy buckets or have that threat on the defense, I think that's the main thing here. It's not only that they're not calling – certain calls, but the defense also knows they won't call certain calls. So now they're playing more physically and they're playing defense and they're not scared anymore to get up and guys and challenge guys. Like, you know, in previous regular seasons, you know, they knew that if they, if they, you know, did too much, they were going to foul somebody or they're going to send to the line and they kind of, and they gave guys more freedom to do more up and down offense. But now that guys know that they can be physical and they, and they can get away with physicality and playing defense, they're now challenging guys more. And you're seeing, uh, you know, better defense, not, well, you know, what 
for some people would say this is not defense, <laughs> obviously. But um, you're, what you're seeing is you're seeing a little more lower scoring games because now the offense has to be more cautious with the types of shots that they're going to get. They can't just run down and expect to get multiple possessions because it's not as up-tempo anymore. They're not going to get as much you know, free points anymore because the refs aren't, aren't going to call specific fouls. So now they have to, you know, slow it down, be uh, more cognitive of the type of shots they're getting up in the shot clock and from their offense. And that's just making a slower game. You're seeing lower scores as a result. And you still have some outbursts in scoring because at the end of the day, just shot making has improved. Uh, the skill level has improved for a lot of players. So it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of wild because what we're seeing is we're seeing, this is, we're seeing basically the, dead ball era 90s type of uh rules right in terms of the defense allowed but we're seeing it with the current level of shot making so it's like so for all the people who say hey i wanted 90s ball where was the you know thousands era defense you're getting that type of defense but you're getting it with the shot making of the current uh nba talent i think a lot of people are enjoying the from what i've seen a lot of people are enjoying the nba product and it's unfortunate because I don't think the NBA media has caught on as much to that. Like, you know, they're highlighting the rules, right? They're highlighting the fact that, Hey, you know, the offense is better and people are happy with these new rules, but they're not highlighting that the actual game uh, quality has gotten better as a result. And I think there's a, this is a great opportunity for the NBA to actually highlight their game now because a lot more teams are going to have to be a lot more, uh, um, a lot more thorough with running their offensive sets and executing plays because it's not as easy now to just run. Now you can't just run pick and roll, right, and run into guys for a bailout call when the, right, at the right. end of the shot clock and just get points from it. No, you have to run motion. You have to run back cuts. You have to run some nice plays to get guys into their spots. Even in the regular season, not just the playoffs, as Vinay said, like they're calling these regular season games like playoff games now. So, I mean, Lord knows what the playoffs are going to be like if we're, if we're getting this, like, this <laughs> early in the year. Yeah. I think you raise a great point. It's not just the actual foul grifting. It's that the defenders know that's not going to be rewarded anymore. So I'm going to be that much more physical with you. So I just want to give you guys one more, like, kind of amazing stat to me. So we'll talk about Lakers more. That's why Vinay is here in, in, in a few minutes. But the Lakers led the NBA with defensive rating at 106.8 last year. They, they led, the, led the league. Their defensive rating this year is 107.1, and it's 18th. So I just this is the first time a team has been there's six teams, ten teams with a defensive rating under 100 right now. Um, the last time there was one team was 2014 Spurs, and the last time there were multiple teams was 2012-13. I'm gonna double check that, but like, what do you guys think about that that trend? Like ten teams with defensive rating under 100 right now, first time in about a decade. Like that that is crazy to me like the amount of defense that they're allowing to be played. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's good for the game. You know, like I think one of the things that we always kind of talk about is like how the pendulum swings one way and you know right, yeah, yeah. in the game. And, and I thought maybe the past couple of years the pendulum was swinging too far to allowing people kind of abuse the rules on the offensive end and you know it it legitimately got to a point where they were tricking refs into doing things that like making calls that they normally wouldn't make and I was just like all right this is like a diff. This is not even offense. This is like, you know what I mean? It's like, like I think you say performance art is probably a very nice way of saying it, but grifting is really, is, is really what it is. And, you know, the off ball hooking, kicking your leg out, that kind of stuff. It's like, 
you literally couldn't defend anybody. So I think it's a good thing that it's kind of swinging back the other way. Um, but I'll tell you one other observation I've made is that the flow of the games is like less interrupted. Oh, like yes. I've, I've, yes. I've seen so many games where like somebody like, you know, like somebody will go and score or they, or, you know, they'll get stopped. They'll miss the layup because it was, you know, a heavily contested layup. And then the team will go the opposite direction. Same exact thing happens. Like it, it gets defended really well because they're allowing the physicality and it just turns into an up and down game. And like, I'm watching the games and they're finishing on time. They're not getting bogged down by like, <laughs> right. I'm not watching people shoot free throws the entire time. I think only one game, it may have been the opening game, uh, the Lakers, the Lakers Warriors game. Or I, yeah, I, can't I think which that, one was. that game had a lot of free throws at the end. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's just like the flow of the games are so good now. It's more up and down. And I wonder if that's something the NBA is also looking at. They're like, look, we don't care if the offensive players are complaining because just look at how these games are going. Right, They're close. Right. Like I, I can't, there's been so many close games. I don't know if you, if you guys have felt that way. It feels like almost every game now, like at least two or three games a night, they're going down to like the wire to some degree. And so yeah, it was I, like, I think that's been great. Yeah, I think Sunday, before I get to you, Kings, a couple of things. One, like, I was amazed, like to your point, Vinay, it was that only that. Like there are like 10 teams who score under 100 points on Sunday. It, it, was, like, <laughs> it was like, it's crazy. And uh, just to correct my stat, there are currently six teams with a defensive rating below 100. Um the last time a team had defensive rating over 100 was a 2015-16 Spurs. And the last time multiple teams had defensive rating below 100. Is that was that Pacers two, and Bulls? Yeah, 2013-14, yeah. which was Pacers and Bulls. So you got six teams under. And we haven't had six teams under, like, even before the Pacers and Bulls. Like, so this is like a really throwback swing to what to where the game is going. Go ahead, Kings, if you want to tap in real quick. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, it's a more smoother game. So it's like because it's more smoother, because it's more, um, you know, you're letting the clock run out because teams are trying to execute offense, making the games, making the, it's making the time, you know, go obviously go by. But also what you're doing now is you're uh, you're, you're reducing, I think, the amount of possessions, I think, as well. Um, you're not having as much uh, possessions or opportunities for points because you're not stopping for free throws, obviously. Yeah. Right. And so and because, you know, the way the game is being efficient because you know, teams understand that points are at a premium with, with how the game, how defense are playing. They're not just taking quicker shots in the shot clock now, right? Teams aren't trying to uh, just get up, uh, you know, these wild shots in the shot clock because they understand that, um, you know, they're not most likely not going to get certain possessions back with how teams are able to defend now. Yeah. Um, yep. So that, so now it's, like I said, it's just causing, teams and offenses to uh, use more shot clock, be more cognitive of the type of possessions that they're having and not just, you know, uh, trying to go out and gun for certain looks, you know, trying to play up-tempo ball the whole whole way through. I mean, last year was ridiculous. I mean, how you saw so many guys <laughs> shoot over 40% from three, just uh, so many teams over 115 offensive ranges, just like absurd offensive numbers. It's, it's I think that's what's I think that's what's shocking people is that it's such a drastic shift because yeah. last year you had the greatest offensive season in, in history of basketball league wide and this year you have the best defensive season since like the like the ISO ball era yeah. essentially so, so everybody's playing everybody basically last season realized that look 
we can't get into these games. Not every team can get into a game to start shooting the ball as much as they possibly yep. can yep. and take the first available three. So teams started playing defense. So now the possessions are more valuable because you can't waste them. And that's what's making that defense val- valuable because it's like yeah. the better the defense, the, the bigger your margin of error if you're not a good shooting team. Right. That, I'm not yeah. a good that, that, that amazing quarter the Bulls had tonight when they came back and beat the Celtics. We're going to talk about Celtics later. Uh, they made they made two threes in the fourth quarter. Ten for ten in the paint. Yeah. It's like, you know, and I like it. it just It's going to force guys to become more diversified in their game. You know what I mean? So it's like that. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And – do you, what, guys think, I, do you think it'll do you think it'll hold up? Do you think they'll Yeah, I was I was just gonna answer that. Yeah. So what I noticed and trying to piggyback with what they said to this question, I noticed that there was like an archetype, an archetype with these guys that are struggling. So it's either these super tiny guards who aren't the strongest, you know, Dame, Fox, they're super fast, but mm-hmm. strength is not there. So they, they're struggling a little bit. Or it's the the slower wings mm-hmm. who can't just, you know, foul or or rely on defense not being physical because of the refs, like your Michael Porter Jr., James Harden, not the same quickness he used to have. Yeah, guys who struggle with getting separation. Yeah, guys, exactly. That's that's the perfect, right? And guys who don't have don't have an in-between game. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's all it's either threes or I'm at the rim. And because it's a little more physical, guys can get up on you at the three-point line and you, they're, they're not going to let you get to the rim as easy. So I've noticed like it's guys who don't May not aren't able to score at all three levels or don't have a post game like LeBron's fine, right? Uh, you get physical with them, he'll take you in the post. He's got a dependable three ball now. He also has a mid range that 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 you know comes and goes, but respectable enough. KD Mount Rushmore score. He hasn't been bothered at all by, by any of this. He's like, I'm getting my spot, my shit over you, whatever. You know what I mean? So just guys like that. So what what, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, 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 uh question about do you think it sticks or not? Yeah, I, I think the example that you gave, I think the way you broke it down in terms of guys that are fast but small um, that can't handle physicality, guys that are big but can't get separation yeah. against, you know, I think that's that's a, a brilliant way of, of thinking about it because I'm just thinking right now, like one of the guys that was on your list was Dane, but his teammate CJ is having no problem because that guy's a, like an offensive technician. Like whether he, he doesn't go to contact because he's not trying to draw fouls. He's trying to avoid you and get the, get his shot off. And that's kind of his style. Three-level like guy, yeah. More, more evasive. And, and he's at all three levels, too. So, you know, I, I hope. Uh, I've seen a few folks um, in NBA media or NBA Twitter media, whatever you want to call them. Like, they've said that, you know what, this is going to last for a couple of weeks and then it's eventually going to go away. The, the refs are going to start calling the game like they normally do. Well, I hope and, not, man. Yeah, I, I hope they don't uh, as well. But – I would be fascinated to see what what happens if, if they don't do that and if they keep it consistent all the way through. I'd be fascinated to see how well some of these guys do because there's really no excuse for some of them, right? And the, the, these guys are world like Dame's a world class scorer, right? Like you shoot the shoot the crap out of the ball. There's no reason for him to go an entire season shoot, you know, averaging what is he like 18 or something like that? You said a game on 35 percent shooting. Yeah, yeah that's man, not like it's stick. it's. I mean, you look at Steph. Right. right. Like Steph is Steph is still doing what he does because he uses all the off ball stuff he does to get separation. Steph is actually Steph is actually hilarious. He's shooting like 50 percent on heavily guarded threes and like 20 <laughs> percent on wide open threes. It's kind of hilarious. His, yeah. his shot profile right now. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's 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 really interesting. You know, Tatum Tatum was has has been struggling. But I think I think Jalen Brown, like he's had a couple games where he's looked really, really good. So it's just it's, yeah, it's I, interesting. I, speaking, of, I think Jalen's the more athletic of the two. As far as getting separation, Taylor's more of I'm gonna uh, overpower you. 
And after mm. the defense can kind of push back. I just think, like, I think a couple of these guys are just too talented to be held back for a full season. But I just don't think – I think, remember that era where you got guys, the guys who average 25, 30, the wing players, their field goal percentage is more 45, 46, yeah. not 52, 53, 54. More like, volume, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think we'll go back to that, which is fine, which is okay with me because that's how it's supposed to be. I think offense is supposed to be a struggle. You're supposed to try to have to, like, have to use effort to score. You know what I mean? It's not supposed to be a cakewalk every time. So, you know, that's where I am with that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Vinay is here because we're talking some Lakers for the first time in depth. Uh, we brushed over them a couple times, but I did want to uh, – what are we, six games in, Vinay, or seven? We are seven games seven, in. We're seven four games and three, in, yeah. Four and three uh, to kind of give a temperature check and also to bring some balance to this uh, Russell Westbrook discussion. <laughs> Me and Kings, we, we may, you know, get unfair sometimes, you know, <laughs> so – I do think, um, Vinay, before we get started, I want you to, the article you wrote about the the turnovers, the different types of turnovers Russell Westbrook has, and why you think that, you know, it, it's trending upward for him. So I, I thought that was a really good article. Even as a non-Westbrook, quote-unquote, guy, I thought that was a really fair article you wrote about how to look gauge his game for the Lakers. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously I appreciate you sharing it. Both of you guys shared it. Um, if anybody who's listening to this wants to read it, you can just find, find me on Twitter at Vkillum. It's You look at my bio and then the newsletter's right there. It's called Characters. And so, now obviously I'm a Laker fan, but I consume a lot of basketball uh, and have um, all over my years. And I'm a big, I'm a big Westbrook fan. Um, I come from an era of watching point guards like Jason Kidd, Gary Payton. Those two guys are like on my Mount Rushmore of like point guards, Magic. You know, I was, I was too young for Magic, but like guys like that who used to kind of do – like point guard stuff, uh, the way that we used to think about it back in the day, lead the team, have a, uh, have like a understand the temperature and the pulse check of how the team's going, who's getting hot, who's not, do we need to get rebounds? What do we need to do? That sort of thing. Right. Um, and so that's why I'm a big fan of Westbrook. Cause I've always thought that he's cut from that cloth, uh, a guy who's trying to be a floor general, even when it, when it doesn't involve him scoring. And I think there's guys like that in the league, guys like Kyle Lowry, guys like Lonzo Ball, even a guy like Trey Young, even though sometimes they have games where they're, you know, not Lonzo, but, you know, Lowry or, or Trey, they score so much or they hit a bunch of threes. People start thinking that, oh, these guys are like the scoring superstars. But in reality, they're always trying to set their guys up. That's usually like their first nature um, when it comes to certain things. So, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned both from playing basketball uh, at like the high school level and then just playing with, other guys, Juco guys playing open runs, playing on city leagues and stuff like that, is that guys that are point guards, guys that like to make plays, when you first start playing with them, like a new team or something like that, there's always like this rough period where like small things go out of the way. And basically what I wrote in that article was that if you take a look at Russ's turnovers and you look at, and I had to like watch every single turnover as painful as it was, um, you know, he <laughs> research, baby. 
Yeah, you know, because I, I, yeah, I want to make sure saying. I got it right. Um, <clears throat> if you watch his turnovers, he has a good chunk. And then the number I came up with, you know, or I found at least through the first six games, like about 35% of his turnovers were like what I called missed connections. And this would basically be ones where he missed the lob to Anthony Davis or he missed a, missed a drop pass to Dwight Howard. Um, there would be ones, basically they'd be the type of turnovers that you wouldn't see if, you know, me and you had played for five years in a row, or if we had played 80 games worth of basketball together, because I would know that, all right, Maples isn't going to be able to get this lob if I throw this lob to him, or I know that Maples is going to make this back cut or Kings is going to make this back cut. So if I put the ball here, they're going to get to it. That's the kind of stuff that you build chemistry. And so basically what I wrote about in that article was uh, because there's so many of them, because like a third of them are those kind of turnovers, they should be cleaned up as the season goes on. And, you know, like the, the other stuff that I was, I wrote about was like, when you look at that total number of turn, like right now, Russ is probably leading the league in turnovers, but like almost 60%, 60% of his turnovers are came from like two games, but the rest of the games, it's like three or four turnovers. It's not bad. That's what you kind of expect from a high volume guard, just kind of doing what he does. And, you know, my goal with that was obviously, you know, Russ is a Laker now. Uh, Russ has a traveling fan base the same way LeBron has a traveling <laughs> fan base. And yep. that's just, you know, people, people rep who they rep. That's totally fine. I'm never going to police somebody as to how they want to, how they want to do it. Um, but when you get a traveling fan base that joins your team, there is also an anti version of your fan base that also starts paying attention to your games. And so Russ has been on the, on the butt end of a lot of jokes, you know, and I'd look, I laugh at him too. So I, this is not going to be me saying, Hey, Russ is the victim or nothing like that. But what I'm trying to say is that there is some silver lining with kind of how he plays. And, and um, I think you're going to see that like when you see him play with Braun, like, I, I don't know if you guys watch like that, that Cleveland game and they're down by like 12, there's a lineup without AD and Braun and Russ are on the court and Russ is just full speed running and Braun's running with him. He's setting up Braun for easy layups. Um, like Braun's shot quality gets really, really good. Like, that's the kind of stuff that Laker fans probably want to see out of Russ. That's probably the right. kind of stuff that Westbrook fans see Russ doing. They're like, look, let him do this. He can make your lives easier. But, you know, obviously there's, there's parts of him that have to kind of be reined back. And so that was, that was, that was a gist of what it was really. Yeah, and it's and all of it's that part of an adjustment period. You're right. Games, go ahead. What, what, what are your Westbrook thoughts seven games in, my, my guy? Um, You know, he's – He's somebody who's going to be able to uh, push the tempo. He's going to get uh, big boards. He's going to be able to push Braun off the ball to let Braun get uh, not exert as much energy offensively. And uh, I think the things I like that um, that was that looks like such a struggle last season, and this is obviously the stuff that Dennis lacked. Where I said, "Yo, this is where Westbrook's definitely be improvement." The one five pick and roll is definitely better. In terms of getting quality looks for the bigs, I think we're finally run, we're, when we run pick and roll with Russ, like he's throwing great lobs, he's throwing easy dump downs. It's like you know, it's easy offense. It's like how it's supposed to look like when you have a dynamic uh, point guard and you're running the pick and roll game with. Uh, I forgot which game it was, but I think it was in the fourth quarter. He had a pick and roll with AD in the fourth quarter, some part in the second half, and he just threw him. He had a nice run through a monster lob. Uh, to AD, like very easy. One of those things where it's like, they can't stop this. If you do this enough times in a game, you'll easily get, you know, uh, four, five buckets from this. 
Right. right? That's, that's, that's just how I saw it. And I was like, you know, this is what they envisioned. Like in that play, I saw this is what they envisioned when they got Russ. Cause he just makes it look easy how he finds these, uh, these bigs, right. And on his way down to the lane. So my thing with Russ is that he's a dynamic playmaker. He can get to the rim and create for others. And he's special at passing the ball, but the problem is, and the problem will always be his decision-making on offense and on defense. Because on offense, you already see it, the bonehead uh, jumpers, right, early in the shot clock, uh, when, you know, heat checks, like, you know, think like almost like taking it like he has a 60-point game or whatever, in his mind, right? He's just taking shots that he just has no business taking when he should be trying to set guys up. And then on defense, gambling. Um, it's, 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 it's the thing with Russ, it's weird, right? Because it may seem like he's lazy on defense, but he's not necessarily lazy. He's just trying to cheat and cheat plays and make yeah. steals. He just gambles a lot. It, like it, he's always, it, he, he does – he. So, so I've been watching him. He'll he'll fight through like one or two screens if he knows that his guy's trying to run some sort of set to get open until until he knows that the ball is not coming to him. And then he'll just like it, it's almost like his brain goes like, yeah, I don't, I'm not worried about this dude. Like it, he doesn't respect the person he's defending because yeah. he's because he's thinking to himself like, oh, he's no longer part of an active part of this offense. Right. Like that OKC game, the Spurs game. Like I think Devin Vassell in the Spurs game, and I want to say Josh Giddy. I don't know if he was Russ's assignment, but like they were getting wide open threes, and I was just like, all they're doing is making like the fourth, fifth, and sixth pass, and nobody's watching that guy because at that point you're just like, uh, whatever. Yes. Like I'm done after that. Mm-hmm. I mean, to my eye, uh, defensively, Westbrook, he's he's fine on the ball. Like he's not mm-hmm. the, like a like a revolving door or you know like that. He, he makes guys work. Just off the ball, I'm with you guys. He's just, uh, I don't know if it's hunting for steals or trying to find, you know, get fast break going. Or, you know, I know a lot of times uh, he'll stay in the key, try to get those rebounds and get the fast break going. But, yeah, he just loses shooters a little bit too much for me. Um, offensively, I, I tend to think along the lines of what uh, Kings is, is. I love him attacking. I love him pushing the pace, taking some of the creation responsibility from LeBron. Uh, not mm-hmm. that nonsense that I was being floated around about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw that. I didn't even let it run it, it. it. Like I think there's definitely a little bit of that to to ease the regular season load. But yeah, man, just you gotta. And I know it's unrealistic to say a point guard don't take any jump shots, but that's like one a quarter. Okay, you get one a quarter. That's four. <laughs> I just I and I think at the point it's been a four year sample size. He just doesn't need to take threes, in, in my opinion. I, I just, it's a yeah. four year sample size. He's bottom like shot making is like like second percentile in, in league wide as far as like jump shooting uh, ability. Like he was really good on corner threes last year and just bottom of the league everywhere else. It was kind of weird actually. I guess not. Nice. Corner three is the closest three, but yeah, my thing with Westbrook was I think to Panay's point, I think there was just an overcorrection because he got lumped in the conversations with with with, uh, with Steph Curry, right? That was mm-hmm. the thing. And it became clear that Steph is just it's just another level. That's not to knock off Westbrook, who's a Hall of Famer in his own right. right, right. right. Steph is just, you know, 
a Mount Rushmore point guard in NBA history, just based on his on his resume and what he's done in the game. So you put that up against Westbrook, obviously you're going to see the warts, right, in, in, in his game. So I think people just – that was their comparison point, right? So that is why all the, the, the blowback happened about Westbrook and what, all the things he can't do, opposed to the things that he still can do to help teams win. You yeah. know, couple that with the, you know, hasn't left the first round since KD left, and then people just pile on. Yeah, that, I think I think Russ is in this unit. You know, I, as a Laker fan, like when Bron came, you know, obviously we're grateful he won a championship, all that right, sort of right, stuff. Right. But and but we also know that there's an entire industry that's that's built made millions of dollars off of being anti-Bron and pushing anti-Bron talking points and stuff like that in the media. Um, but I would say very uniquely that Russ coming to the Lakers uh, has um, unearthed a level of toxicity on the timeline <laughs> that I have never seen before, because it's, it's not only it's, it's not just like, Hey, he's being compared to this, this guy, right? Like Steph, he's also got people that are fans of are fans of the teammates that Russ has had. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you'll get, you'll get the hardened folks saying, well, yeah, we didn't move farther because of Russ. You'll get right. the PG guys, you'll get the Paul George guys saying that, oh yeah, we, we didn't move farther because of Russ. KD guys, regardless of whatever KD ever said on his burner, will still say we didn't get any farther because of Russ, even though they made the finals with Russ. And on top of all that, you got a Golden State Warrior fan base that hates the Lakers, hates LeBron, <laughs> and doesn't like Westbrook because of the current comparison. So you mix all that together, and I think yeah. you have that toxicity that you were yeah, it, it, it's crazy. So, you know, I'm obviously I'm not here to complain. I'm a Laker fan so that right. I don't have any room to complain about this kind of stuff because we are who we are. But I, I want to just bring back something that um, that Kings mentioned. Right. It's Kings and you have both mentioned. And, and I agree with you guys that um, Russ on the defensive part, you could probably be cleaned up a little bit in a, in a playoff series, especially with Vogel and whatever defensive schemes that he uses, because he's good on that end. But I, I wanted to br- talk to you guys about, um, and we like to talk about the human element of basketball. And when I watch Russ in late game situations, or when it seems like the game is getting out of the Lakers' hand, okay, or when it, it's, it's getting out of the Lakers' control, maybe they had like a 15-point lead that got cut in half or something like that. It seems like Russ, and this is me just thinking about it if I was on the court with him, that he has a problem with controlling his panic button. Like yes, it, it almost seems like he panics. You don't see it in his face, but his ver- his way, like, you know, that flight, flight or fight response or whatever it is. Right, right, like, right. His, his version of that is just to become more ferocious, more yeah. aggressive to the point where it gets out of control. Right. And that's when we see like the really, really bad turnovers where he falls to the ground or just throws it out of bounds or something like that. Do you guys think, and this is something that I've thought, do you guys think him spending 82 games or however many games next to Braun and seeing how Braun manages himself in those situations, whether it's, you know, they talk about it in a film and mind you, the Lakers also have a guy like Rondo who's been in those situations too, as well. Um, do you think that'll somehow like rub off on him to some degree? Please go ahead. We've been asking that for how many years, man? <laughs> We've been asking this question for how many years with Russell Westbrook, bro? Like, you don't even think Brog can do it? You don't think Brog can do it? That's what everybody's hoping, right? <laughs> this is kind of like this is kind of like the last straw type of thing, where if Brog can't get him to do it, then nobody can, right? Well, 
do I think? No, I don't think. <laughs> do I hope? Yes, I hope. <laughs> For the Lakers' sake of winning a title, I hope he'll learn to be more composed. Or my solution to this, right, is give the ball up till 23 or to six now, right? Yeah. Give the ball to six, right? If you're panicking, you don't know what to do, get the ball six and go set ball screens and go yeah. cut to the basket and go finish or get offensive rebounds and put backs and try and be, uh, you know, try and use that aggression inside the paint. Don't try and make decisions, right? If you're panicking, right? If you're trying to panic and trying to uh, hustle your way through it, uh, do that off ball mm-hmm. and have number six handle the ball, right? That That's the two options the Lakers have because the thing with the Lakers, which is why I say the rusting can work, is that teams that Russell Westbrook was on previously – they needed him to make the decisions. Mm. They needed um, him to have the ball and to make the decisions. Uh, the Thunder needed it. The Wizards needed it. Uh, the Rockets, unfortunately, needed it because their go-to guy couldn't do it in the playoffs. So we all know how that situation <laughs> is, right, with, with that guy too. So it was two of those type of type of uh, people in, in Houston, essentially, right? So they needed one of the two to be able to make the rational decisions in, in, in the playoffs. And uh, I don't know. I know I know Russell Westbrook has turnover problem, but go look who has the record for most turnovers in the playoff game. Right? It's not Russell Westbrook. OK, <laughs> just throwing that out there. So every team he's been on has needed him to be that guy in the clutch, either scoring or decision making wise mm-hmm. on the Lakers. They don't need that. LeBron will make the decisions. And even when it comes to scoring, it's either going to be LeBron or AD. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one of those two. So they don't need him to play under duress. That's the thing. Like, that's the thing I I don't think people understand. They don't need him to do that. So what he needs to do is just focus on the things he does well and do those things and those things alone. Don't try to do anything outside of what you can't do because you're making 40 million because you can do certain things at a high level that very few people can do those things and let the other two stars take care of the rest. That's what needs to happen. But the problem is he's a star. He's played a certain way, high usage for years on and years. It's it's hard to break that. That is the issue, right? Because everything I told you sounds easy. sounds nice. But the problem is this is a human game. You got a point guard, MVP, who's had the ball in his hand so many times. Can he adjust to being that third option? I'm going to get my shots here and there. Ooh, and that is the – I think that will probably, more than anything else, decide the Lakers ceiling, next to health, obviously. So that that's a great great way to end, end the Westbrook thing. Um Let's move on to some other this, this other Lakers stuff. Um, what are you guys? What's your temperature on the Lakers now, uh, Vinay? Where, where are you with them, just in general? Before we go into in depth with certain guys. Yeah, the- you know, I I've, I think a lot of the conversation was um, about Westbrook and just kind of how his fit. That's been like the nightly conversation, but I think the larger concern for the Lakers has been their defense. Like their defense has not been good when even when Anthony Davis was at the five. Eighteenth. 
Yeah, and and um, and that they were, I think they were probably worse than 18th at one point in this season. It's probably the Houston game. Yeah, yeah, that Houston game probably pushed them up significantly. Um, but there there are big big gaps in, in the way that uh, their defensive rotations are working. Like Anthony Davis is, whenever he plays a five, his man is always in the left corner every single time if they want to space it out. And you know, for the past two seasons, we had guys like Alex Caruso. Um, running to that left corner to cover for him whenever he had to go and help, like on a guy like Christian Wood at the rim. And um, for the first six games or whatever, the Lakers weren't doing that. They were, or maybe the first five games, the Lakers weren't doing that. They were terrible at it. And that's why we, in the in the uh, the OKC game, or sorry, the San Antonio game, uh, Jakob Pertle or whatever his name is, that dude was just getting layup after layup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and he looked like Hakeem. And um, some of that was Vogel. Like Vogel was putting like Carmelo Anthony in a position where he has to guard the guy that's in the corner or he has to tag the role man. And, and that's what it was affecting it. So I think if their defense gets right, I think playing guys like Avery Bradley, playing guys like Austin Reeves, who I, I'm shocked as how good he is uh, on the defensive end. But that guy can who? Norris Cole. Norris Cole for the Lakers, man. Yeah. That's it. Um, if they can get their defense Great, right. They, they can get to an acceptable level, um, which I think they can. They've got the personnel to do it. They just need to get the commitment from the guys to do it. Um, they'll, they'll be much better. But that defense has to be there. I love the scoring, though. The, the spacing, the scoring, everything looks great. Yeah, that's what I was saying. It doesn't need to be a, a top defense. It just needs to be, okay, can we put together four yeah. minutes of, you know, stops, right? And before I hand it to, uh, to Kings here, I just want to say, to me, it's not a talent thing. It's more of an effort. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They are are they locked in that night? Like you know, when LeBron, when I see LeBron, we're running on the weak side, disrupting passing lanes, you know, knocking off cutters, right, rebounding. I know they're locked in that night. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just even baseball. I think that's why it's weird because Bradley can't stick anywhere else, but him and Vogel <laughs> just have this thing where yeah, play for Vogel. Hey, just get out there, be a dog on defense. Uh, be a floor spacer on offense, and we'll find you 15 to 20 minutes, you know, on, on a given night. So yeah. that, that that's kind of uh, – I think Bradley, they're going to guarantee his contract. A lot of people say they're not because of the money situation, but it's no, hard to not – it's hard to oh, not. No, they will. They okay. will. Yeah, you, you have to. You have to. Yeah, and, I think it's just and, hard. And, yeah, and, they, and they will because they have no choice because yeah. because <laughs> of that defense that we talked about, that's the problem. This It's a, it's a run reason why the defense is a problem, why we have zero wings – our main wing is hurt, yeah. and we're not about to go. They're not about to go to the playoffs with one wing. Okay, at the deadline, it's guards that will be gone. So Avery Bradley <laughs> will fill those guys' role. Like that's that's what this is about. They're gonna non-guarantee his contract. Deadline comes when some guys go missing for a wing. Bradley's <laughs> contract gets guaranteed, and they start filling out the roster with the buyout guys. Look, Lakers so, cannot have no wings on them. Right. That's true. My question for you guys is, um, why isn't a guy like James Ennis on the roster? Are they just holding a spot for a possible deal? Like, what do you guys, what do you guys think about, you know? I, 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 I honestly, because you have to think of, you know, and the more I think about it, it's just like, you know, they, if they want, you know, if they want to, if they, if you have the mindset that you're going to move certain guys, right? If you have the mindset that, okay, we need to get better, we need to get quality guys, you can't mess up the certain guys you're going to move playing time. 
Yeah. Gotta make sure they look good. Oh, like, like sure keep, keep going. It's full conspiracy right now. It's, no, it's, cons- it's no conspiracy. That's the name of the game. That's the name <laughs> of the game, right? If you're looking through the future and you say, hey, I got some nice, good contracts that might be able to improve us to get us over the top, you can't risk their, you know, their value going down because of James Ennis. You know what I mean? Like that, he's not going to move the needle for for your team when it comes to regular season wins. Like he's not going to put make you win four more extra games, right? At the end of the day, right? That's that's not his value, right? Because if he was, he wouldn't be on the street. Okay, so in with that set understanding, it's like, look, we have certain guys, we paid them to get PT so they can be in favorable spots. We need to play them. It helps us because if they don't fit, well, we'll just move them for guys that do fit. And I think that's the mentality that they're taking. I think that's why they took on so many guards was that we're going to – because, like, they didn't want to set I, – I don't think they wanted to settle for the wings. I think they understood that the wings were so valuable that they got best available, and their mentality is that who, whoever doesn't work out or whoever is more favorable to us to improve our wing spot with somebody who is of worth the worth the contract, we're gonna trade those guys as opposed to just filling out with bottom tier wings that just won't have any impact. Right. And that's interesting. So THT's back soon, right? They just got the the wrap the thumb wrap off. He's ramping up his activity. So I'll be real interested to see what happens to the Lakers guard rotation. Uh, I'm up to the point now where it's no matter what you got to find 15 to 20 minutes for Austin Reeves every night now just because of what he does to fix this. I know he's a rookie. There's other guys who maybe make more or promise things, but ultimately you you can't pull that kid from the rotation right now. He's, you know, he is so good in terms of just, just knowing where to be on the court. Like if you watch him, if you just watch him when he's on the court and just watch how he moves, even if he's not involved in the play, like, He's filling gaps in, in uh, on the perimeter, or he'll fill the gaps in the spot based on just kind of what's natural to basketball, right? So you'll never see him standing in a wrong spot like the dunker spot. He'll either be in the corner or he'll High gradually, IQ. yeah, he'll slide up the wing every time. Like when Melo decides he doesn't want to be on the wing and wants to come up to the top of the three because he wants to make himself available, you know, for like a brawn pass out of a post up or something like that. Like Reeves slides up. And he's, you know, like, I, I know we always talk about, like, unselfishness and all that sort of stuff, but, like, he genuinely understands the game at a very, very high level. And I know a lot of, like, the draft folks have said, like, this guy was playing really well for Oklahoma. He has natural playmaking skills right. and, and field vision and stuff like that. So he's been so good. And I, I'm actually I, – I think to myself sometimes, like, how good would the Lakers – what would the Lakers record be if they didn't have Bradley and Reeves? Because, like, the guys that we were putting out there to play defense or just, you know, score or make plays for each other, like, they weren't able to do it. Like, Monk has been nice in spots. And you can yeah. see that. You can see that if he gets the right reps, he gets kind of, like, the right um, – like, if he's around the right guys to make the right decisions, he can be really, really great. Uh, but, you know, even he's been up and down defensively. And yeah, stuff I, like that. yeah that, that's great that you bring up Monk. I think it's tough because Lakers have a couple guys where it's like, He's good, but you can't play him with this guy, right? Yeah. And I think Monk is one of those. Even Melo, who I love, is one of those. You just can't put Melo on the floor with other non-defenders. He's got to be the non-defender out there yeah. or it's going to look bad. So I think that's where Monk is. And right now, just nobody's going to – on the bench, you just, Melo's going to be the guy off the bench, right? It's, he just He's just shooting the ball too well. 
Yeah. Right. So it's just you just nobody's gonna push him off. So I think I think actually Melo's ascension makes yeah, it. Yeah, I was tough. gonna say that that's your that's your guy. Yeah, so talk to me about guy. talk to me right. about him. Man, stay mellow, man. Stay mellow. <laughs> I just um no, on a serious note, I just I don't understand. I understand guys lose a step as they get older. They got to adjust. But there's no way a, a guy that talented should be out of the league for a year and a half. Like, that was ridiculous to me. Like, I remember watching, uh, no disrespect, because he's gotten better. But the Lakers traded Zubak for Mike Muscala, and I watched him miss every three he ever took as a Laker. And I'm sitting there, I was like, Carmel Lefty is out of the league, and this guy is on the team that I love shooting bricks every night like it was just wild to me like just that was i remember thinking that exact thing watching mike muscala every night from Lakers after the zoo after the zoo box trade but yeah mellow man i just i, I love it offensively man I, I love it offensively and it's just not only the ability to make shots like he won't fold in a big situation yeah, yeah. You know what i'm saying like in the comp i'm the funny jab i took at brooklyn nets fans you know, I was like, Melo at a minimum or Joe Harris at 19 million, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I understand that Melo, I, I just, I don't think it's in Melo's fabric to fold in high leverage games in whatever you ask him to do. Like, he's not going to be scared to to take those shots. Like, and this is the best shot quality of his career. Because, like, I'm standing here, LeBron and AD are getting a ton of attention. Mm-hmm. I'm right here when you need me. And what I like is uh, Tim Cranjus, the guy who does a lot of film stuff for the Lakers. Um, he was posting film showing that Melo's like activity getting a little better on defense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if he can continue to do that, you know, my, my six band of the year Melo uh, agenda is going to get some uh, steam because if he just continue to score like that, it's just, it's going to be tough to, to stop the Lakers. There's just so many weapons on his team that when it's, when it's running, right. He, he, um, you know, like in the off season, I, I tweeted that the, if the Lakers, if they rebuild this roster, completely reconfigure it, like, we don't need shooters. Like we need guys that can score the ball. Like they yes, understand yes. scoring and we need scorers, not shooters. And it's, you know, I, I know a lot of people have been saying, um, Hey, mellow catch and shoot. Mellow is way, way better than ISO mellow. And for sure, he, he probably is significantly better in catch and shoot situations, especially considering the high shot quality he's getting off of Russ and, and Braun and AD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like, even if you watch that very first game, uh, against Golden State, like he was putting guys in the post and he was scoring like at the rim. So it's like that. And so I tweeted out, I was just like, we were, if you think about it, we replaced Kuzma with Melo and Kuzma brought the Lakers a championship. He's, just, you know, he's trying to make a name for himself. He's, he's putting up numbers in Washington. So we're, I'm happy for him too. But Melo fits the need that the Lakers really had. We needed a guy who's just like, whatever situation you want me to be in, in the, in the post, catch and shoot. I have no fear. I'm going to knock this down. I'm going to make sure that we convert on this play. Like that's what the Lakers need. And that's why I like a guy like Monk because Monk has like that irrational J.R. Smith confidence. And, <laughs> and, and from, from like 30, 35 feet. Yeah. San Antonio. Yeah. And, and the Lakers kind of need guys like that. Cause we've got the smart cups, you know, like we've got like Braun's going to figure out who it's supposed to go to and stuff like that. And 80 is always going to attack the rim. Uh, hopefully if he's not taking jumpers, but uh, it's, it, it, he's just been such a good addition. I mean, he, I think there's like two games, two of two of the seven games, he's the one who's led the Lakers in scoring or something like that. So, uh, two or three of the games. So, you know, it's it's he's been a great add. And Kings, I want to bring you in on this last player we talked about before we get to Vogel, uh, AD. Um, but they just mentioned the thing about the jump shots. Um, 
you know what's crazy? He's having you look at the raw numbers, it just looks all NBA again, all world. He's quiet, man. The, the way he does everything is all quiet. You no, know, and it feels like maybe it's just because we have such high regard for his talent. It's not a negative thing, but you feel like there's another level he can get to. Yeah. With that with the activity. Because he's just he's other he's just otherworldly talent, right? A generational player. Um King started with you. Where are you with AD right now? Uh, you've seen these first seven games. You know, with you know, as funny as it is, even with all the jumpers he's taking, you look at points in the paint. He's tied for first, or he was tied for first with John Morant. So it's one of those things with AD, man. It's the it's it's because he's not he doesn't if he's not uh you know being overly ex- physical or exerts himself in a dominant fashion inside it comes off as that he he's my he's probably having a bad game or he's not imposing his will on the game like let's say a Giannis or an MB does when they get going right um AD is one of those guys where he he gets off in spurts right mm-hmm. it, 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 he'll go off on a on a stretch where you know you're unsure where he's at offensively, but then he'll have like three minute stretches where he rips off bucket, bucket, foul, free throw, um, this tip in, right? This jumper, right? Then he'll go, you know, be quiet for a while. Then he'll come back with another stretch, bucket, bucket, free throw, free throw. And it's like over the course of the game, those spurts accumulate to his final output. Um, it's kind of like how KD, right? Uh, he's never been known as a volume scorer, but he always gets buckets, right? Because he's always having stretches where, uh, you know, he's going to get his buckets. The thing with KD is because it's he's such a good shooter, right? And his game is so uh, appealing, right? And aesthetically appealing. It, it's more, uh, it, it pops out when he's having a great game, right? It pops right. out when, when KD is is being uh, great because he's making the threes, right? He's making his his mid-range at a high level. So you know KD's balling. But with AD, it's it's like I said, it's just more congested. It's more, you know, he'll he'll finish a few pick and rolls here and, and when he gets going, he'll get to the rim here, even though he's kind of falling on his way to the rim, or you know, he'll make his buckets while he and then get to the go to the ground. Right. So it's like you feel like it's like ah, he's not dominating enough, but he's producing. Uh, AD is always producing. I think with him, it has to go, it has to go to to another to another uh, to another step in terms of how he physically puts an imprint in the game. And I put and I and I give an example to everyone listening. Um, if you go look at what Evan Mobley is doing with Cleveland right now, ah, with, with, his, with his motor. And his presence inside, he has turned around that team. Like there's just no like we would have never thought in 2021 any team would be looking competent with three bigs at ever. Like ever. It works because Jared Allen's mobile is a great five, but Evan Mobley is literally one through five. This guy can literally guard every position on the basketball floor. And he imposes his will physically. His motor is always running. That's what's going to make AD be the quote-unquote best player in the world because you can't be the best player in the world if you don't physically dominate the game. Mm -hmm. If you look at all the guys who were the best player in the world, 
they dominated the game high motor or they had the mental edge like the birds right who had a combination of both mental edge as well as both physical will you had to have high motor a high physical will and you had to be mentally ahead of the game to want to impose that every night ad has to get to that level where it's just not about i'm gonna get my numbers it's more of nah you're gonna know i busted your ass in this game Right, I think, and I think that's probably the main separator between you know, AD and Giannis. At the discussion, yep. like every time I watch Giannis play, like he's physically like changing the basketball. You, you heard it. You heard it from Ant, right? Yeah. Ant said it. He said that he's seven two two eighty. You can't stop him. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like you, you can't stop him. Guys, guys know AD supremely talented, but they don't talk about him like that in terms of you can't like he's like you can't physically stop AD. They say, oh, AD can can do a lot of 80s supremely gifted, but they don't talk about him. It's like, oh yeah, you can't, you can't physically stop 80, right? You, you, like, you, think, that's too, you think that's something that opposing, opposing teams try to do. Like when, when they, when they play up against him, whether he's at the, when he's at the, like, especially in the four spot, I feel like certain guys, like you'll see guys like Jay Crowder do this. Like they're intentionally trying to be like overly physical with him thinking yeah. that like that, that'll kind of get him out of his game. And, no, and that, that, that's that, the scouting report, I think, yeah, that's been on him. Is that and then when he's at the four or or um, that when he's at the five? When he's at the four, I think the other in this that they're trying to bait him into taking jump shots. Mm-hmm. I think like AD was living off the like people were thinking he shoots better than what he was. And you start looking at the data yeah. and it's like he's not much better than Giannis at this. So let's just <laughs> let's just keep having him shoot jump shots. It's weird because. That 10 to 16 feet range, he's actually having a decent year. It's like the the three through 10 is messing with him. Yeah. And the 16 feet to, to 10 feet, like that, the the, large, the deeper mid range is kind of throwing off his percentages. So I, I just like him going to the rim. I think he's a, he think, I think he's the best finisher, like the best play finisher in the league. Like probably, though, know, Giannis is there, but Giannis is more of an initiator. Mm-hmm. But as far as his finishing plays off a of pick and roll or a lob, I, I don't think there's anybody better than, than AD. You know, we, we, you know, we had, we had a, I had a conversation with, about, uh, you know, with Paul and some other folks when we was talking about, uh, I think it was Reek too, we was talking about why AD and Giannis's jumper production is kind of similar. Um, one, Giannis is getting left wide open, right? Wow. So he's getting easier looks mm-hmm. because guys don't want to play up on Giannis because they know he's going to go right by him. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, we'll live with you taking this open look. Mm-hmm. Whereas with AD... They know he's a better shooter, so they're not trying to give him an open look. And they also don't fear him going by them like mm-hmm. the Giannis. So at the end of the day, it's one of those things like Giannis is open, so he gets easier looks. And also guys understand that they can force AD, even though he's a better shooter, they can force him into taking a bad shot because they don't have to fear to drive as much. So ultimately, it leads down to similar production, even though one's a better shooter. It's like you can force the better shooter to take a tough shot, whereas you can't do that really to Giannis. It's kind of like the Kobe-LeBron thing, right, where Kobe was clearly a better shooter than LeBron, right? But you could force Kobe into more tougher shots because LeBron was just more physically gifted, like one of the greatest he's, athletes he's, in the he's, history. Yeah, yeah. One of the greatest athletes in the history of all sports. Yeah. So you couldn't, you know, you couldn't play him like you could play Kobe, right? right. So that's kind of how it, it, it turns into. All right. That's excellent point. 
Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing AD reach another level. I think once he gets his the wind underneath him, because I think he's still working his way back. Mm-hmm. I he, think he, he he came into the season with a jail body for sure. Right, so he, yeah, he so. has to work that out. <laughs> yeah, I think he he was more into uh, you know bulking up than conditioning in the offseason. I think it's pretty clear where his body was. He's got to be over 250 right now, based on what yeah. I'm looking at. I, th- I um, think if I think if he plays off of Russ, just my last thought, like on him, like. When he plays off of the stuff that Russ, if you let Russ be the guy who attracts all the attention at the rim, you're going to get a wide open jumper. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. His shot quality is so much better when he plays off of Russ, but I know he wants to get his kind of ISO touches. I think, I think hopefully um, that's something I'm watching as, as the season goes on, if he, if he keeps doing that. Right. And to end, uh, you know, I'm a Laker fan. Vinay's a Laker fan. Kings, LeBron is with us. So, you know, he, he's, he's down. Uh, so Celtic pain is always good to, uh, <laughs> uh, to have. You know so the Celtics pretty much had a meltdown. Had the Bulls beat tonight. Got outscored in the fourth quarter, 37 to nine uh, at home. Um, epic loss, pretty much. Uh, post came, Marcus Smart pretty much went off about being uh, tough to play basketball, sitting in the corner. Uh Teams, Jason and J- Jason and Jalen have to give the ball up. Um, teams know they're going to focus on those two. We got to figure out something else. Pretty much, he's letting Udoka have it. He's letting Jalen Brown have it. Letting Tatum have it. Um, from a fan, just fan standpoint, I like seeing the Celtics in pain. So I was like, wow, that's crazy. Just from a basketball standpoint, they're just loving basketball. That is some wild stuff to put in public forum. Yeah, like that's even if everybody sees it, like he may have he may have made raised a point or two, like fairly, but to put that in a public forum, basically call your two go to guys selfish, and pretty much talk about how the coach doesn't know how to do anything when uh when teams are taking away those two guys, like that is wild to me. Um, what was you guys take on that? Starting with you, Kings. And. I, hey, I've always warned Celtics fans. I've always warned people something about that Marcus Smart guy with the Celtics. Man, I, I've had a running, I've had the running joke with the Celtics because they always talk, had big hopes, right? I always tell them if your team is relying on Marcus Smart jumpers, you're not going anywhere. That's why I always tell these. That's why I always tell their fans every single year. If you're relying on Marcus Smart jumpers, you're not going anywhere because for whatever reason, Marcus Smart felt empowered to take shots he should have not been taking to take them multiple times throughout multiple games. And I'm not talking about regular games. I'm talking about playoff games. I'm talking about finals, conference final series. This guy is taking shots he should not be taking. and He's doing multiple of those shots in one single game, every single game in a conference finals. So when you look at that, right, and, and then you look at to this season, you know, Jalen Brown has been getting more featured. You're looking at uh, Jason Tatum, who's also still going to get his looks. But Marcus, then you also have like uh, Joe Josh Richardson. You also have Dennis uh, Schroeder coming on. It's not as much looks there for Marcus anymore. The touches aren't there no more. And, you know, they have those two great rings, those two all-NBA caliber wings. So he's looking at them he's like, okay, well, the team knows they're going to stop you. I need to get my looks. But it's like, you can't get your looks, Marcus, because we got other guys who are probably better than you offensively in Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder, who also needs to get some touches to run the offense to get better quality looks. 
And it's like, he's also battling. I think somebody's talking about he's been battling through some stomach illnesses and all types of other things. But at the same time, it's like, he hasn't registered in his head. I don't think that he is a role player in terms of you are not supposed to take 15 jump shots. I know Brad Stevens, for whatever reason, allowed you to get away with this for so many years, <laughs> but you're not supposed to do that. And I told Celtic fans, he's not supposed to do that. But I'd never thought it would get this far. But for some reason, he, it, he really has internalized that he should be doing this. And it's a problem for the Celtics, I think, going forward because Brad Stevens never, never disciplined this him. And I'm not saying that in the way of, you know, oh, he's his dad or whatever. I'm talking about he's never disciplined in the way of the same in terms of saying, hey, you do this, I'm pulling you. Like Marcus Smart has been empowered since he's been in the Celtics. And you can see with the way he came out, this is why none of this shocks me. Like literally <laughs> anything he said today did not shock me at all because he has been empowered to do a whole bunch of bad habits with the Celtics for years. And I think it looks like the new coach is trying to put his foot down and he's not having it. So it's going to be interesting to see going forward. So basically what King said is, you're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. <laughs> I, I try to give some nuance. I try to give nuance to it. So but that guy, at the end of the day, it's like, hey, Marcus Smart, bro. You gotta understand your role for this right. on, on the Celtics, man. Yeah, Vinay, what was what was your take on that? On that? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think we've got like, um, I think uh, almost everything King said, like to some degree, is like very true. Like they ran like this equal opportunity offense because Tatum and Brown were young. And I, I was trying to find a quote while King was talking. I couldn't say it. But the way Marcus actually said one of his quotes, he said he said it as if he was like um, like he was Paul Pierce like to them. You know what I mean? Like he like he was like Absolutely. this tenured guy. And he I, I I can't I couldn't find the quote, but he literally said it in in a manner of like um, he's like yeah, we're happy with how they've grown. He said we are happy with how they've grown. And he's right, like, he's their OG. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I was just like. Who, who does he think he's talking about right now? Right. Like you're talking about the guys that are the two best players on the team. Like they're not getting anything from you in that capacity. And um, yeah, it's just, I, I think it's crazy for him. First and foremost, dividing those two things, the media part, I, that shouldn't be something you should have said. To Man, me. that's dude. Like you can't, you can't <laughs> do that. Like there's, you have to be a professional. I know he got his extension and stuff like that. Second thing is um, it, if that's what he's going to be, if he wants the ball in his hands to make plays for each other, we haven't seen you do that. Like how you can't expect a new coach to trust you to do that. If he's watched your tape before and he's seen you not do that. Like that's, that's the other part. Cause I would imagine Emi Odoka is not just saying, go stand in the corner just for the sake of standing in the corner. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure he's probably seen that there's opportunities where you've had the opportunity to make plays and you probably take that mid range shot or you take a bad shot that, that goes back the other way. They brought in, Dennis Schroeder to be like that scoring ball handling guard to some degree. Yeah, and that it did until, and this was my worry about this. Like Kings had him as I think he had him as a a five or six, right? Kings. Yeah, I had them like uh, in that. Uh, yeah, in that, tier. in that five to six. Yeah, because yeah, I had the Heat for it, right. so five to six. Yeah, I had him as a playing. I had him as a playing team. I just um I wasn't sold on their leadership. Like, right. Dennis is a solid playmaker, but he shouldn't be your the best one on your roster. Yeah, right. And he's the best playmaker on the roster. Like, and the thing I, I love Tatum, I love JB. I think aside from PG and Kawhi, 
when he's healthy, that's probably the best wing tandem in the league, right? But neither of those guys creating isn't a thing for either of those guys. Mm-hmm. You got that, and then Dennis is just kind of okay at it. Who on that team is creating for somebody else? And yeah. I think I said this before, they completely kind of underestimated what Gordon Hayward brought to the table because yeah. he was just an excellent connector for that team when he played, right? They had a nice uh, connect. He, he would get the ball moving side to side and not look for his take. He'll take a back seat to get the offense. They just don't have that anymore. And I think that was my mindset where I had them 10th. But the, on paper, they have a lot of talent. So it wouldn't surprise me if they got us all together. Uh, all Celtic Joker side, I do support black coaches because they don't get enough opportunities. So you kind of yeah. want Udoka to do well yeah. uh, to a point, right? <laughs> so that's 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 kind of, you know, where, where, where I am with, with, with Boston. So Yeah, and, and I think just to, this would be my last thoughts probably on this because I know we want to conclude this. But, like, we started this episode off talking about like floor generals, like guys yeah. like that are real, real point guards and how like the league has gone in this direction where they try to get these scoring point guards. So, so the, a team like the Celtics has Marcus Smart, who thinks he's a real point guard, but is really a scoring guard wing defender kind of guy. Combo Josh Richardson, guy. Yeah. Combo guard. Undersized too, to me. He's undersized right. too. Yeah. Josh Richardson, kind of the same kind of guy. Cause that's what he was doing in, in Miami. Dennis Schroeder, same kind of guy because he was a sixth man for for a long time with Atlanta and then OKC with the Lakers. He was he's trying to start. So it's like you when you think about roster construction, this is something that we've talked about. We everybody on NBA Twitter, everybody on NBA media, they're always thinking about roster construction of how do we fit the pieces of the puzzle together. But in reality, the way coaches look at these games, the good coaches, the Tyron Lues, the Eric Spolstras. They don't look at it like that. I'm not fitting pieces to a puzzle. That's important as a roster construction. But when it comes to playing basketball, it's a game of chess. How do I make all these different players, how do I maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses? And I think one of the things that Boston, I'm happy that they haven't figured it out because I'm a (laughs) Laker fan, but they've never, like a Kyle Lowry would have been perfect for this team because they all he does is, run the plays, finds a hot hand, understands the temperature gauge. As, as crazy as it sounds, even a guy like Russ would have been okay for this team because Russ is going to give it to the guys that can score when they're hot. He's not going to get in their way. And that's what I think he'll do for the Lakers. But I think this, the same way that we've seen the pendulum swing back on offense and defense across the league, there's going to be a pushback on, on the type of point guard you add to your team, right? We love Trey. We love Ja. We love Steph. We love these guys that can just, you know, fill it up. We love Dame. We love all these guys. But guys like Lonzo belong in the league. Guys like Russ yeah. can do stuff in the league. Guys like Lowry can do stuff in the league. And they may not do it. They may not put 30 up a game. They may not put 25 up a game. But they do all those connection things, things that the old school PGs used to do. And and I think we'll see a push like that. You know, we'll see, we'll see people valuing those kind of guys. And so – um, I'm glad. I'm glad the Celtics haven't figured it out. I hope they never don't. They never do. Um, but you know, I as always, fellas, like these are always wonderful conversations. Right. I, I I love chopping it up with you guys. So uh, you know, I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Vinay putting a bow on it, man. Yes, sir. Make sure you follow Vinay on Twitter at vkillum. The subscription to his newsletter. Uh, it's called Characters. It's in there. I get it when the uh, in my email. 
I look forward to reading. Um, it's not just Lakers stuff sometimes. He does branch out every now and then, and it's good to just uh, get other perspectives on the game, you know. So follow him, tap into the newsletter. Uh, Kings at its Kingsborough, myself, JJ Maples 55 underscore MST. Make sure you follow us, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get it, Spotify, um, iTunes, whatever your uh, poison is. Um, yeah, man, we appreciate you guys tapping in. Uh, podcast is really growing. Me and Kings are appreciative. Um, yes, sir, thank you. Vinay, thank you, man. Before we get out of here, thank you. Yeah, man. This is, like I said, man, this is the best. This is the best <laughs> NBA pod. This is all this one and maybe a, one other one. Only ones I listen to because it's just I, I don't need to hear people say nonsense over and over again. So you guys, you guys bring a really fresh perspective. And look, the most important thing that that people, I think everybody NBA media misses that you guys always talk about is the human element of basketball. Like you, you have to think about these guys like they're, like they're real people and how they operate and how they think. Rose. You'll never understand why they do what they do, why Micro Smart is being crazy and why Russ panics on the court when, when the games get tight. And so, you know, I appreciate it as always. And, and you guys do a wonderful job. So, you know, I'll see you guys on the timeline and and, and I appreciate uh, getting the chance to speak. Great having you again, bro. Yeah. Yes, sir. We out of here. Peace, y'all.